Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today you can hear my interview with Brian Fullen. Brian is a veteran drummer who's lived in Nashville for many years and has worked for many artists including Shania Twain, Peter Frampton, Vince Gill, and Larry Carlton, just to name a few. Most recently, Brian's been expanding his home studio work with sessions that include many chart-topping Australian country artists. You can find us on WorkingDrummer.net, Facebook, forward slash WorkingDrummer, on Twitter, Working underscore Drummer. As we are growing and expanding, we're hoping to add a YouTube channel real soon. We have videos on the way. And uh, as always, you can go to iTunes where you can stream or you can download on your smart devices the podcast. I think we're over 20 right now. And if you would, uh, go to the uh, comment section or leave a review for us. That really helps us grow. So here is Brian Fullen. When was the first time we met? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, geez, man, I don't know when. It, I, I don't know. You seem no, like no, yeah, no, no. Actually, okay, you ready? Here we go. go. <laughs> All right, start. <laughs> so we're both from Columbus. Correct. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you had you were living down here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I, I moved in. Cap- I moved here in '87. '87. Mm-hmm. So th- it wasn't long after that that you came back to Columbus to s- to visit us at okay. Capital University, where mm-hmm. I was a sophomore. Uh, Let me ask you this. Yeah. You know, I have this country drumming book out with Alfred Publishing. Yes. Was that book already out? It was not. Okay. Well, that was out in 94. So that was a bit of a benchmark year. So it might have been just prior to that. It was. I graduated in 94. Okay. All right. I, so it must have been 92 then. And I, I bought the book in 94, I believe. Well, there you go. I still have it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I do I do want to talk about that for sure. Um, the... Uh, I guess what I wanted to to say was it was it was really significant, um, and I don't know if you knew at the time how significant it was. I mean, you came in, you're like, look, here's some charts that I wrote for the mm-hmm. band Allies. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, and um, and I remember, and, and I mean, you had a way to kind of present what you were doing. Say, look, guys, here's what I'm doing. I mean, you had an air of confidence. And you had um, you, you were demonstrating what you were doing and, mm-hmm. and challenging us to understand, look, do you know how to separate yourself from the pack? Right. Do you know, and remember this, do you know what a Texas shuffle is? Does anybody know what a Texas shuffle is? <laughs> you know, all these things that, I mean, we're yeah. studying, you know, we all grew up playing pop music and classic mm-hmm. rock, and we're digging into, uh, you know, traditional bebop and all these mm-hmm. other styles that Bob was presenting to us, sure. Bob Brighthop. And, um, but you came in with a completely different spin. Like, I know a lot of you probably aren't familiar with a lot of country styles, a mm-hmm. lot of what's going on in Nashville, even though there was this, you know, transplants from Columbus that were moving down there, right. digging into the music business. And yeah. we knew that Nashville was very much like New York or Los Angeles at the time. It was a, a you know, very significant mm-hmm. music time, right. town. Yeah. So in an an a different time, then I mean, it's still oh. very significant. Obviously, maybe even more so, but a, a different a different opportunity then. Yeah, right, for sure. Right. So that was the first time we met, and mm-hmm. um, 
but that was a that was a cool thing, man. It really, I think it started the wheels turning for me. Awesome. Well, um, that's cool. And um, but um, so I don't know. I don't know if you know if you knew. Kind of, did you do that in other places? Did you go around? I mean, that seemed early on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. You know, um, I have a master's degree in music, and mm-hmm. when I went back to school, I went back to school for two reasons. Um, both because I mean, both reasons were because I felt like after my four years at Capitol, and then going on the road for a couple of years mm-hmm. with a local Columbus, you know, singer. Um, I still felt like there was some more stuff out there that I needed to know, some more stuff to learn. Right. And I wanted to be in a different environment. So I moved to Memphis and I went oh. to Memphis State, which is now University of Memphis, but it right. was called Memphis State at that time, the right. mid 80s. And uh, man, completely different culture. And it was exactly what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I wanted something different. I wanted a music style town, but something different. Elvis was from Memphis. So, you know, it had to be cool. I mean, yeah. And so much of the early development of jazz happened. Memphis was, you know, a right, part of that too. Right, right. And uh, and so when I first moved there and I started checking out the the bands, I was like, "Wow, man, this sounds different. This is different than anything I've ever heard mm-hmm. in a live setting." Maybe I heard some of it on recording, but I didn't really understand what I was. You know, sometimes you see it, you you understand what you're listening to mm-hmm. a little bit better, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so I spent two years in Memphis, uh, and that in and of itself was a huge education. Plus, I was a graduate assistant, so I was a teacher, so I was required to teach college students. And I didn't take that job lightly, man. I, I was very serious about making sure that I had a clue before those guys came in. Some of them might not tell you that. But yeah. But, but, so what did you do to prepare for that? I mean, well, you know, first of all... you were still pretty young. I was very young. I, I still had... You know, I practiced. I practiced like crazy, first of all. If I'm going to... I felt like if I needed to help these guys or try to show these guys something, um, I needed to be able to play it. At least one lesson ahead of them. At least one <laughs> lesson. Or at least 15, 20 minutes worth of a lesson. Uh, anyway. Um, but... Uh, you know, I started like evaluating uh, the jazz ride pattern, for example. You know, because we're in we're in jazz. You know, at universities that were teaching jazz primarily. Right. Uh, so why in the heck do we go ding ding da ding ding da ding? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that it you know it was based off early uh, snare patterns, that sort of thing, and just the, the overall feel. You know, then this this is all in a nutshell, and what you know what came through the hi hat came over to the early bounce ride symbols and so forth. But mm-hmm. still, why was that? And so I started trying to do some research um, on just various reasons. You know, why do we play two and four? Why do we do the things we do? Because mm-hmm. I felt like if it was responsible, if I was responsible for teaching somebody this, I wanted to know what was the point. Why are why are we doing this? Is this just where it feels natural? And I mean, there are, you know you can read uh, various books and articles and so forth about this, and and maybe we can get into that later. But um, the the point to, for me was, as I was preparing, I was just trying to do some research to figure out why is it we play the way we play. Is if I have to if I'm going to teach an 18 year old to come in and he wants to to play be a player, yes. it's more than just about hitting the drums. Yeah. For me, for every student, I suppose I could probably sum up 
any one of my my you know lesson programs in the pretty much five minutes to be honest with you mm-hmm. make music learn how to make music right and if your music is you know is memphis style stuff is or or it's chicago shuffle or or a mm-hmm. you know texas shuffle um um or Western swing, you know, Western shuffle, Western swing kind of stuff, whatever. Um, uh, my point is, you know, having an understanding of why, of each of those genres of music and what the nuances of, of all of that is, right. is the difference. I mean, so I, I felt like um, in teaching students early on, you know, the, the thing I wanted to teach them was, you know, if you want to play a certain way, if you hold the sticks a certain way, Give me a viable reason why you do that. Mm-hmm. Don't just hold the sticks cockeyed because that's what you do. Because right. you set up your toms, you know. I think understanding the history, yeah, and why, mm-hmm. and, and and it's it's funny because. Well, keep talking. I'm going to pick up my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Time out. Well, so uh, yeah, the in the in the process of that, you know, just just teaching guys to to. Play, give the music everything it requires from you, right? You know, no matter what that is. If you're, if you're, you know, in the '80s, there were a lot of metal bands and hair bands and so forth. If you're playing in Twisted Sister, well, cool. I mean, I don't. If if you're going to play that, or you're going to play some old R and B, or you're going to play straight ahead jazz, or you're going to play, you know, straight up pop kind of a thing, whatever it may be. Whether you're playing in a symphony, whatever it may be, somebody wrote a piece of music. And it's it's our job to help frame that piece of music in, right. no matter what it may be. So whatever you know, whatever your uh, uh, whatever your passion is, and whatever drives you musically, mm-hmm. just make sure that you give the music everything it requires from you. Yeah. And that so that was always kind of my basis. And I felt like, like you said a second ago, the best way that I could do that was to make sure I understood the development of it. Right. You know. And it's funny because uh, it's hard to remember that the drum set as an instrument is a very young instrument. Not old at all. I no. just had this conversation with somebody yesterday, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And, you know, and if you think about even the, the development of the drum set in the early 1900s, okay, up until about the 1950s, was primarily jazz-oriented stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then in the 50s when rock and roll was introduced. Mm. But think about the distance from like 1955, 53, 55 to 1970. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then what Bonham was doing, even what guys were doing in the late 60s into the 70s, through the 70s, in that short 20 to 30 I know. year period. Amazing. The 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 change of the drumming from ding 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 to you know, whatever. I mean, oh, yeah. to to an athletic event. Well, and, and guys using ride cymbals for crashes because the crash cymbal, especially mm-hmm. in the 60s, w- really wasn't what it is we think of right. it as today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and to bring up Bob Brighthop again, one of the things that I remember he used to say is, you know, especially when we were young drummers and these, uh, some of these more contemporary drummers were our heroes. He said, well, you know, to understand why he plays the way he plays and why he inspires you, go back to what his influences were. That's right. And then mm-hmm. find out what that drummer's influences yeah. were. You know, it's like, well, he liked Mitch Mitchell. Who did Mitch Mitchell listen to? Right. And who did that, you know, and, and you know, drummers, and we've talked about this before, where, you know, that development of rock and roll in the 50s and 60s especially, their heroes 
mm-hmm. were jazz players. That's right. And those bebop players were listening to, you know, the, 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 where, the way jazz was 10, 20 years before that. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the, the development of stick control and, and playing from Civil War drummers that were right. still alive and still were teaching and mm-hmm. introducing molar technique and, right. and all these things. So it's really fascinating. And now, at my age, when I meet, you know, wonderful, talented young players, mm-hmm. And they're talking about their influences, and I'm going, wow. I remember when that guy first entered the scene, and now he's, he's, <laughs> and he's your, your influence. influence. Uh, it's yeah. it really ama- it, yeah. it's, um, it, it's Wow, it's, it just it amazes me. You know, it, it's interesting because I had, I had a, an interesting um, moment. A guy emailed me uh, not long ago from a university and says, uh, I've been tasked, you know, one of my my uh, assignments is um, I have to do a report on a historic drummer, and I've chosen you. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? <laughs> Me? I ain't that old. Anyway, Could so... Contact my nurse. She'll yeah. set up an appointment. <laughs> my caregiver. Uh, I, I was like, wait, what? I, I'm... Have I somehow, you know, catapulted into legendary status or something? I, uh, how did that happen? Anyway. Um, how do you strike that balance? I mean, you know, somebody like Steve I'd, Gadd turns 70. 70 something. Well, yeah, oh, you, know, you know what? He's just come out with a record and it's called 70. And I don't know. Yeah, but that record, they probably cut it two years ago. So. Yeah, so he could be 71, I mean, 72. Yeah. That's not young. Mm-mm. He's a legend. It's and he's playing like he's young, though. I mean, he yeah. he doesn't look like he's missed a beat. He's he's pretty pretty great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't I was I was very flattered. I don't think you know this is a college student and is you he know music major or was yes he, okay and you know and and he's the same age as my son basically. So yeah. uh, I, I I was flattered. I don't think he meant how it kind of sounded to me, but. At all, but it, but I was very, very flattered that somebody uh, took the time to do some research on my body of work that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a session guy, man. I'm I'm I've been since since a very young age when I started playing the drums and discovered who Steve Gadd was because he was clearly you know, one of my biggest influences, and I'll tell you who my first big influence was, and might surprise you here in a second, but um, when I kind of decided, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up, my answer would be a session musician. Okay. It wasn't a drummer per se, although that was the instrument of choice. It was, I want to make records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to make records. I love playing live. Don't get me wrong. I lo- and I love touring and I love playing live. I love playing music. Period. Right. But it, back when I was younger, that was my path. That was my that was my career path. I I you know while some of the people I was going to college with at Capitol were studying to do things that were going to put them into a job the day they graduated, you know yeah. my my whole. Uh, uh, concept was I love the recording studio environment I love the smell of recording gear yeah I love the smell of the studio environment I love when that red light goes on and and your level of expertise has to jump a thousand percent 
Well, you know gear, man. I can already tell just from us setting up. Just you know, <laughs> I've been so. around it a long time. I mean, yeah. when I was a kid, I used to, uh, no joke. My, well, my dad in Columbus, my dad was named Gene Fullen, and Gene was uh, very in the sixties. Uh, he died in nineteen seventy one, actually. Oh, wow. So through the sixties, late fifties and sixties, my dad was a TV and radio personality in Columbus. Okay, and uh, had a show called Dialing for Dollars and Pinbusters, and he had, uh, he kind of knew everybody, and we had famous people come over to our house quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I recall, I mean, I was pretty young; I was only yeah. nine when he passed. So, okay. um, he gave me my first guitar when I was five years old. Wow, you know, a uh, little kind of three quarters instrument, uh-huh. and um, my family's been very musical. So I've been around the concept of writing songs, making music. Reading music, listening to music. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the the huge perks of my dad being a radio a DJ was that he brought home promotional use copies of everything. Oh wow! And my mother still has probably all of them or most of them. And I mean, it would be everything from um, back in the. Now you're talking about this era, okay? The oh, '60s, yeah, but sure. it'd be it would be mostly the jazz oriented stuff. But it could be it would it was anything really. And uh, so, I mean, we have Frank Sinatra records. We have stuff. It's all promotional use only. These were not for resale in great condition records. Yeah. 78s. Oh, wow. uh, That my mother would bring home. And so I would listen to them, and I remember being just so, as just a little kid, being listening to them and just reading. If you remember, I don't know if you guys remember any of this, but if you look at some of those old recordings, they show up like in a book, and you open it up, this giant book, you open it up, and there'd be maybe five 78s in it, three, four, five 78s in it, mm-hmm. and each sleeve was like a novel. I mean, you could just read the liner notes right, of everything, right. everything, yeah. as opposed to now where you download it on iTunes and you have no idea who did what. Right. You can't find anything. Yeah. So back in those days, and, and I would start seeing the same names you know, show up on, right. on many of these right, records, right. and I would... And I would just flip through this stuff, man, and I'd listen to the 78. And by the time you'd listen to one side, you'd get about halfway through that page. It was funny. It was like my reading level and, <laughs> and one whole 78, you know, I could get through one half of a sleeve in sure. one record. Sure. So I'd flip it over and I'd listen to the next record. Um, and, uh, man, she even has this old recording of, of uh, um, uh, oh, shoot, who was the, in the 70s, the trumpet player that played the Rocky theme, you know, um, oh, uh, Henry Mancini. No, no, no. The, uh, but we had that stuff too. Oh shoot! Anyway, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Uh, anyway, he was a bebop guy, and this was like pre-Rocky theme. Uh, no, not Herb Alpert, but we had that stuff too. Um, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, so the, the the point to that was is early on, I had the idea that I this was something that I wanted to do. So. Yeah. Um, we had these old, old cassette machines when the cassette first came out, these old mono cassette machines, and we had two of them, and they were just like, I thought they were the coolest thing ever. So I'd play music on the stereo in the background, and I'd get on one of them, and I'd pretend like I was a radio DJ. Yeah. And I, would, I was imitating my father, right? And yeah. I would be a radio DJ, and then I would drop the needle you know, now we're going to listen to Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, right? And I'd drop that, <laughs> and I'd play it. Yeah. And then 
while I was doing that, I was recording it, and then I would record it to the next cassette, and I'd bounce them back and forth, and I'd hold like the cassette speaker over the other microphone yeah, yeah. and go back and forth until I created a whole radio show. Oh, so wow. this was like my first introduction to the idea uh, and the concept of creative recording. Yeah. Um, by the time I was 18, I had already... Uh, I, some of the people we were talking about earlier uh, prior to this filming um, in Columbus... Uh, there was a recording studio that developed called Gracewood Recording Studios mm. that um, later was absorbed into the, the Morning Star. Um, but uh, at Gracewood, I started recording there when I was 17. And one of the things we were tasked with doing was every Saturday at 8 a.m., we'd get together, and there was four of us, my brother, Dave, myself, a bass player, and my friend Russ Negi. Uh, and the bass player is a guy named Jay Louder, who you probably know too. Oh my gosh, I know Jay Louder. Yeah, wow. so Jay lives right around the corner here. Um, and the four of us, we were a team. And every Saturday, we were tasked with writing like f- three, four, five, six, maybe even eight music beds. Really? And all day Saturday, we would just record them. So it'd be like, I would have, I, every week we'd do... You were playing we, drums. At I was playing drums. Okay. And I was at Capital University as a freshman. Okay. And this had all just kind of, they built the studio. And so every Saturday, this was my job through college. Oh. I got paid a couple hundred bucks a week or something. I don't even remember what it was. And uh, I don't think it was that much. But every Saturday, we would record music beds. Well, those music beds started getting picked up. And I remember maybe about a year later, I was watching TV. And one of my music beds was on this local substation called Dexter's Substation in Columbus, Ohio. And my music bed was their theme song. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I had just gotten kind of, I mean, published, you know, for the first time. And my music made it to public television and uh, uh, or to, you know, to satellite television or uh, galactic television. And uh, so then we continued to have more and more of those experiences. Yeah. Um, and I did that all through college. So my love affair with the recording studio, plus through just that... Re- was reinforced, I mean, yeah, just by that six... Every that Saturday, success. man. You imagine, you know, practicing is was one thing. Oh, yeah. But every Saturday, I'm in the recording studio playing music, evaluating, is that a good take? Is that not a good take? The, 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 the learning curve, first of all, was pretty tremendous, but then the growth... Yeah, of any musician when you're in the studio. That's why studio players are so, just so good. And one of the, my professors at Capitol, Vaughn Weister. Yep. We were on our way to a gig. I'm playing a jazz gig with him and Dave Wheeler. Yeah. And uh, um we were talking about places to move and I had my heart set on LA and, uh, my senior year of, of high school, I actually went out and lived with my brother, Dave in LA. Well, why did you want to move? I mean, it sounded like you had something going, you had access to a studio. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you had recording facilities there and mm-hmm. you were getting published and, and mm-hmm. what was the motivation? I know what my motivation was, but I mean, yeah. what was your motivation to get out? Uh, I wanted to play with the biggest and best that I could find. And even though I loved working with everybody, I mean, I was working with my brother. I was working with, you know, guys that I grew up with. 
Right. They're all tremendous musicians. Right. It's not about that. They, right. We were making cool little projects. But I'm looking at what Steve Gadd's playing on with Chick Corea or with, you know, uh, when he did the Al Jarreau record or when he did, and I would go to the, the local concerts and see guys play. And I'm like, man, I, I just want to be in the middle of where it's at. Mm-hmm. Well, in the car on our way to this gig, Vaughn Weister said, man, you should consider Nashville. Interesting. And I was like, don't they make country music there? I mean, I'm not opposed to country music or anything. I love country music, but because remarkably, we had a lot of it in our house. But uh, he said, you know, it's such a great recording town, and it's a pretty cool place. Yeah. And he had apparently just visited or something. Okay. And uh, so, you know what? I actually came here and checked it out okay. when I was in college. And, uh, and I thought, man, this is a really cool place. Plus... I I was um, I'm a, I'm a pretty good little Christian boy, and I grew up in the church, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I'm a pretty spiritual guy, yeah. and uh, I uh, I got into playing a lot of contemporary Christian music. You know, Amy Grant was young but, but huge at the time, and DeGarmo and Key, who Greg Morrow played with. Oh, um, I know that. And I was a fan of Greg's before I ever met him. Yeah, you know, and I met him in Memphis actually. So, uh, hey, Greg. Um, but uh, uh, Greg was an influence Paul Lyme was an influence there were a lot of of guys that have become friends and colleagues that that and that music was coming out of Nashville it was coming out of Nashville yeah so well I mean Paul was still recording a lot of the stuff probably in LA but I was I was equating it with Nashville yeah when I moved here in 87 um, in 1990 just three years later I connected with and joined the band Allies, mm-hmm. contemporary Christian band, mm-hmm. probably the best band I've ever been a part of. Wow. Just great guys. Yeah. We made great music. And then we, they loved the recording studio too. So beyond Allies, we were making records. Uh, Randy Thomas was producing other artists. And uh, of course, Bob Carlisle was our lead singer. And then Bob Carlyle went on to have a solo career, and then Butterfly Kisses became his mega hit in 97. Okay. So, but Bob was our lead singer, and the guy is probably the most um, soulful rock and roll singer I've ever, mm-hmm. ever worked with in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're not hip to him, go listen to Allies, Feather in Your Cap. You can find it on YouTube. Okay. Man with a Mission, anything from the Man with a Mission record. But if you go, they're up on YouTube now. You can find... Is this uh, you on drums? Me on drums. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Mark Hill played bass. And Scott Sheriff was our keyboard player who uh, has 12 Against Nature. That's his band. Oh, right. And then Scott is just now playing with Carrie Underwood. Okay. So uh, Scott was our keyboard player. So uh, we all date back to 1990, 1991 together. Well, 91's when our record came out. And unfortunately, it's the only Allies record that I'm on. Okay. the guys previous to that, they all lived in L.A., great band. But when Randy and Bob decided to move here, they were the, main, the primary writers and producers of, of Allies. I see. They decided to move to Nashville, and the other guys decided to stay in Los Angeles. Then they put a new band together here in yeah. 1990, and I got an opportunity to join that band. So what was your role? I mean, uh, you, were you a member of the band? Were you playing drums that was your role mm-hmm. as, a, as drummer yeah let, let, let's put it this way I, I was not a partner yeah. in allies but i'm on the records posters 
considered a member of full, you know, a, from business side, not, not my so name's much. not on the contract. Right. From a, from a recording and playing side, yeah. I am the drummer in Allies. Yeah, it's not like, it wasn't like a sideman game. Sure. Well, I think one of the reasons why I asked, because uh, again, I, I want to bring up that meeting, uh, the first meeting I had with you. You were touring with Allies and you mm -hmm. opened up this book. And this was a long time ago, so mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you showed us charts. Mm -hmm. of music, of, of things that you had written out. And the, these were like, we're talking staff paper with with kick mm -hmm. drum pattern, snare, and mm -hmm. Phil's written out. It's the first time I'd really seen that much detail outside mm -hmm. of like a Modern Drummer article. Right. And you're like, I'm on tour with these guys. Here's my charts. And I'm like, <laughs> why is he writing charts? I mean, we're all memorizing songs. Like, right. Is he play with this band? Is he subbing with the band? I got you, yeah. Um, was that the band you were mm -hmm. writing charts for, and and was that just because you had a couple new songs? What was that? What was that? Well, there were a lot of new songs because when I got the gig, I think my first concert with them was two weeks later, mm. and it's complicated music. So maybe you just had them left over, or you still had referred to? No, them, I think just, I was reading them. You were reading them <laughs> in the first couple them. of gigs. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> until they became second nature, and then I, you know, until it was memorized. I, ha I have guys, adult guys, that come and study with me periodically. And the main thing they, they say to me is, I want to learn how to read music. And, and, and although I, I'm absolutely willing to teach them, and I will teach them, yeah. what they have to understand is where their ability level is as a player mm -hmm. and where their ability level is as somebody who can read, write, transcribe music as a beginner and as an advanced player, they're worlds apart. And you have to be patient to learn the process. They want to be able to dissect what they're playing like immediately. Well, look, man, it's mathematics. It's musical math. It's, it's a language. You have to learn the language. And you've got to learn how the bar divides up. It was interesting that you used that word. Well, it's, like, mu it's musical math. Yeah. 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 Like just break it down that way. Are you okay? I'm good. I'm okay. Good. <laughs> kids are just, out and about. So yeah, I know. Hey, man. That's, and you know what? Your kids are at that age where you need to make sure you do. That's right. Because eventually they don't want you to keep an eye on them anymore. No, they like to know that they're being watched. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so that's why, the, that's why those charts existed. And I may even still have them around this house somewhere, but the whole, the whole reason that I have books and books and books of all the artists that I've worked with over the years. Oh, I can't all the charts. It's so much work. Well, and you know what? These days, Matt... Uh, I don't. I'm not connected to any one particular artist mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I have a few different artists that I work with a few times a year, and I always use a click, and I always have my chart, yeah. and I keep my ears wide open. Right. And if I know how the song starts, how the song ends, and what the feel and tempo is, and listen, I'm not a tempo memorizer. Um, you know, uh, I've I've seen some posts lately that I, I think are you know, are very, um, uh, I mean, awesome. If somebody can memorize exactly, you know, every tempo on the click and, and be able to say, oh, well, that's exactly 92. Man, more power to you. Is I guess it's like having perfect pitch, um, having perfect or, tempo. Or relative tempo. Or I relative tempo. That, yeah. I mean, I can give you that. I say, yeah. well, I think it's somewhere around 78. Well, right, it's 76. Right, okay, right. I was close. With the different artists that I work with, if, if I look at a chart and it says 92... Yeah, 
I got to hit 92 on the metronome. I see. Because <laughs> I am, first of all, if I can remember the song in the instant that we didn't have rehearsal and we're on stage in front of 10,000 people to play it. Yeah, yeah. I'll be lucky. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I always yeah. refer, now, all right, kids, don't give me any emails. W- what I do is I always go back and listen to all the recordings of every artist I've ever played with. But we all know that live versions and studio versions can often differ mm-hmm. and in tempo too. Yeah. So if I don't have a live version, I'll listen to the song. I'll make sure it's in my head. Yes. But when when we get on stage, man, I can hit 92, count it off. And within the first bar, I know exactly where we're going and it's all good. But there's a lot of music floating around, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. every day I am very fortunate to be able to play on a variety of recordings. You know, that's mm-hmm. just, that's, Fortunately, that's my world, and I'm very, very thankful. Take nothing for granted. Mm-hmm. But having charts, click, tempo, uh, everything in front of me that will keep me from failing and playing a miserable song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Playing the song miserably, I should say. Um, you've got to be in the moment. You've got to be in the moment. Right yeah, and, and I want to make sure, sure. That, 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 uh, that, the, that the song is well-performed. And Like we went back and said, you know... Uh, I'm a perfectionist. I want to make sure that when I got done playing the song, that my artist is as comfortable, that I'm the artist I'm working for is as comfortable on stage as they've ever been. And if I'm subbing for a friend of mine for an artist gig because he's either out doing something else or he's sick or whatever, yes. and I need to go, and I'm subbing two or three dates, I want that artist to be in front of those 10,000 people performing and not know the difference. Right. It's not my gig. I'm covering the gig for this guy, and I'm even going to play the fills like he played them. Yeah. Because I want that artist to be happy. Yeah. And when that artist comes off the stage and pats you on the back and said, thanks for being here, that's a great job, you did your work. You right, know? right. So whatever it takes to do that, and sure. that's my philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I guess becoming a bit of a chameleon is, 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 is necessary right. for being a freelance guy like I am. Sure. About 1993, I got a phone call to work with a new artist on Mercury um, to play in her band. And um, the guy called, bass player called me up. He said, hey, uh, there's an artist on Mercury. She's brand new. She's got a little single out that's doing okay. And she wants to put a band together. Uh, But, um, you know, just not, it won't be anything like too regular right now. Just, it'll be just some dates. I said, well, who is it? He said, well, it's a girl named Shania Twain. Uh So I said, Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. She had a single out called What Made You Say That that was being played on country music television or something. First record? Yeah, very first record. So I said, you know what? Let's give it a try. Sure. So I connected with Shania off and on for a couple of years. And uh, and about that point, then I moved on with a couple other country artists because Shania was taking time off. At that point, um, we were... uh, we were doing some gigs, but she had met Mutt Lang, and they were cultivating a relationship, you know, personal and working, mm-hmm. and um, and then obviously went on to be married for quite some time. Right. Um, and actually, in this very room, Mutt has been in here. We auditioned steel guitar players. Oh, cool! In here one time, and uh, he got to know him a bit, and uh, we went up and did some Canadian dates, and he was following us around, and he was drum teching for me. And I was like, uh, you're Mutt Lang. What are you doing? And he said, oh, I just 
love drums. I just love being here. So he'd set he'd set the snare drum up and raise it and lower it and raise it and lower it and raise it and lower it and raise it. Mutt, it's fine. Let it be, man. He was the most meticulous. Most meticulous. That's right. And he wanted me to. Well, never mind. Um, uh, you know, he's he really he was fantastic. And uh, but you know, he was also Mutt Lang. So when he needed to be, you know. Did you? Um, or, oh, 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 of course you knew because his history oh, already yeah. up to that point. That's awesome. Well, it was kind of interesting, interestingly funny. Just wondering uh, if any listeners don't know what he had done up to that point. Back he, in Black was huge. He also wrote the song "Do You Believe in Love" that Huey Lewis was like their first mega hit, and they right. ripped it off his demo off note for note. Yeah. Um, I, I shouldn't say ripped it off. They re, they copied it pretty much note for note, mm-hmm. but put their spin on it. Yeah. And uh, which I thought was one of the most spectacular. Just YouTube writing and producing credits. Just writing and producing credits. Uh, the Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner, he did, mm-hmm. you know, and he was working with Brian Adams when he met uh, Shania. Um, and all the stories, and you can read the stories, they're all true. Right. It's pretty much, you know, it's all like she says. Um, she'll we'll get him on here and compare notes. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, Mount was actually very cool. Um, I enjoyed uh, chatting with him. And uh, is that one of your children again? No. Okay. Uh, uh, I enjoyed chatting with him, and uh, uh, and he, you know, he he had some really great insight on some things, and he helped us in some rehearsals. And uh, we started performing some songs that he had written, uh, and Shania was was kind of co-writing with him at the time. Um, and we started performing them live, and nobody had ever heard these songs before, but they were clearly on the rock side, and a little different sound for her. And uh, I would say that the songs that were her hits got great applause. The songs that we did that nobody had ever heard got equally great applause. Interesting. Um, Anything in particular like then ended up becoming... Yeah, the very first song we ever did was a song called You Win My Love that she put on one of her records later. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and then in 1995, um, she did a big thing at uh, Fanfare uh, before it was all CMA Music Fest. It was Fanfare was at the fairgrounds. Yes. And we did. There's actually a picture of this on on Facebook somewhere or not uh, on you Google, Google somewhere. But um, uh, she was presented with at that point her record went five times platinum or something oh, like boy. that. I don't yeah. remember, but. Um, Luke Lewis and I think it was Luke Lewis from Mercury and uh, Mary Bailey, who was her manager at the time. Um, I had put a band together for her for this performance, and it was a big mega band kind of a thing. And uh, they uh, they presented her with this plaque, and she didn't see it coming. And so we performed some songs, and Mutt was there, and, and it was that was a lot of fun. But that really was the last time I'd worked with her because she went on a radio tour at that point. And then I went off to tour with Peter Frampton. And about the time that that she was ready to put a new band together, um, 96, 97, I was already committed. And uh, um, she, uh, J.D. Blair ended up, you know, doing the gig and did a great job. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, J.D. called me a couple times and we chatted. And I think I got him hooked up with Yamaha maybe at the time. I don't don't recall exactly, but I know that he was maybe talking to them and maybe I... You know, just kind of gave him some insight on the products or something. Sure, but, sure. but JD and I have known each other forever, so we had just talked about some things. And yeah. he went on to do an amazing job on that gig, and then he got to do the the Vegas thing that she'd the run that she'd been doing not long ago. And I'm I'm thrilled that JD was a part of that. He just, yeah. 
you know, he's fan, you know, just such a sweetheart of a guy. Yeah, that's um, what I hear. I've never oh, met him, but fantastic. I just hear such great things. Fantastic drummer and guy, and just, and that's the way it was meant to be. You know, Matt, I, uh, been doing this a long time, and um, I just really think that uh, every day is an opportunity. Mm. You know, every day is an opportunity to make music, to play the drums, to do something that we love to do. Right. Um, you know, even if I had to go be a greeter at Walmart or something, it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, I think early in my career, um, I wanted to be kind of all things to all people. You know, right. not unlike what we were talking about a little earlier. I just, I wanted to be the guy that made the mega mark on the town. Yeah. And, um, you know. Can you explore that just a little bit? Mm. Uh, we, we, we had yeah. a recent podcast that just came out. And uh, I don't want to s- spoil it for anybody, but one of the things that was discussed was um, you identify yourself with what you do. Mm. And uh, if, and you know, we're drummers. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And um, some of us do it full-time as a living, and yeah. some of us don't. And for those of us maybe who have had a, a, some level of success in the music business, mm-hmm. if something in life happens or something changes maybe personally or, or in our heart even that makes us change direction, how do we handle that new responsibility that is egging us towards maybe not making music for a living anymore? And, and I mm-hmm. think that's a dangerous topic that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. Um, uh, as life changes, because we're all looking towards moving forward, moving forward, moving sure. forward, and that's and 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 that is that's a noble pursuit, and I'm not taking anything away from it. But I think, for whatever reason, sometimes things happen that that kind of makes you. I think what I always want to hold on to is the idea that it's okay to make changes. And still love music because mm-hmm. when I was younger, I was meeting older players that say, "Be careful, don't burn yourself out. Right. Uh, get into this." But I I know musicians that are following this certain path and they hate music now. Mm-hmm. It's so much now their job. It's not their love. It's not their passion. And that's why we get into it. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'd I'd love to address all of that because uh, when I taught at Belmont. Uh, from 94 to about 2006, um, I address these topics pretty head on. Yeah. You know, you have guys, not unlike yourself or like me, um, when you, you graduate from college with a piece of paper that says, I have a performance degree. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that piece of paper in and of itself isn't going to do much for me. Those four years in music school, however... I would never change them for a minute. Oh, me neither. And if I have if I have any young guy come up to me and say, "Man, I don't have to go to music school," uh, okay, maybe you don't. Maybe you're fortunate enough to waltz right into to you know playing. Mm-hmm. Fine. I probably maybe I could have done that, but for me, music school was a bit of an umbrella. I w- it was okay for me to fall on my ass and make mistakes. Right. It was okay for me to try something and have my instructor or some band director or, or a jazz ensemble director say, that does not swing. That sounds bad. <laughs> Brian, go practice, and right. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Because I had an opportunity for tomorrow. The reality of the real world is you didn't swing, you didn't do it, go home, you don't get called back. 
a lot of times you don't even get told that you weren't swinging. That's right. That's exactly right. You, you just get don't done. Get called. It's just nobody. Suddenly, people aren't talking to you, and you feel a weird vibe, and then you and then they, you don't get called again. At least not for that particular style of music. Um, you know, Matt, I graduated from college in 1983. I've been doing this for a few years. Yeah. Um, I am a solid B teamer, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, there are guys farther up the food chain than I am. And I can scratch and claw and whine and complain and get mad thinking that I'm just as good as them. Why aren't I playing on all those records? Mm -hmm. And at this point in my career, there are guys that are younger than me mm -hmm. playing on bigger records than I'm playing on. Mm -hmm. But every day I get a chance to go downtown or to come into my studio and make music and do something of significance that means something to somebody. That is who I am. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Rewind. That is what I do, but that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. That's not even remotely who I am. Mm -hmm. I've been given a gift, and this is partly, some of this for me personally, and I'm just going to preface by saying, this is my opinion. Right. This is my growth experience. Everybody's experience is a little different, and their concepts are a little different, but who I am as a person, uh, I'm somebody who's been given some talent and creativity in the music world. I knew that I was going to be a musician from a very early age. I don't think I even had much say in the matter. <laughs> but if I had to sell everything today, yes, it would be like losing a very, very close friend. But does it define me? No, it right, doesn't. Right, now, right. people equate me with, you know, Brian Fullen, the drummer. Okay, fine. Um, and, and it is what I do. It's a service that I provide for people, and it's also very spiritually satisfying for me on a variety of levels. Um, but man, it's not who I am. Who I am is uh, somebody that loves their kids, yeah. wants to provide a great house for them, and it doesn't have to be a million-dollar mansion. As musicians, um, creative people who really want to be the best musician we can, we're also very competitive people. Mm -hmm. um, we're competitive against the ability to, you know, we want to play paradiddles as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. We want to, you know, we're influenced by uh, some of the great drummers that are so, you know, athletic and acrobatic that we listen to them and we're like, I can do that. You know, it's like the old joke. How many drummers does it take to screw in a light bulb, right? One, but everybody else stands around and says, well, I could do that. Right, right, right. And, uh, and, and it's true. We, we become, and I think, Matt, I think that that's part of, part of a requirement for being a drummer because, dude, you have to have thick skin. I mean, you do, but but at the same time, there is there is inherent community that drummers like to rally around, absolutely, and like to brag about and, and say we have mm -hmm. this community, we have mm -hmm. the support yeah. that we provide to each. And right. I, I just had a conversation with a young drummer uh, last Friday, and he goes, "I don't believe that 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 we're in competition." I'm kind of challenging your statement here just a bit. He says, "There, I don't see art as a competition, as a collective thing, mm -hmm. but." It's, I understand where he's coming from. I think it's more nuanced because I think that inherently there is competition, something that drives us. Not, oh, sure. a, not competition in a bad sense, but competition is like, ooh, I need to up my game. I want to do that too. Right. 
Well, listen, I think there's the competition within ourselves to right. want to be the best we can to right. make a living. Why is he playing on the records and I'm not? We've all, we all do it. Oh, yeah, of course. But more importantly, your point, your, your question to me was, is there a point where you can decide that I don't need to do this, don't want to do this, don't have to do this anymore? Mm-hmm. That's where I think the competition comes in. Our pride tends to, this is something we've put a lot of heart and soul into. It's our oh. creative environment. Yes. And... The idea of putting that aside, selling all our gear and doing something else is almost like admitting failure. And, 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 and again, you say, this is not who I am, but we do put so oh, much yeah. of our identity mm-hmm. into this thing. Even though I can tell you, this is what I do and it's not who I am, I still have to have that conversation with myself on a daily basis. <laughs> okay. Right. So, um, uh, and you apparently need... Here. Somebody to hold your. You need a music stand. Uh, there's one around, right around the corner, so you can edit this part out. I've got a gig tonight. I have a feeling that I'm going to be dropping. My Wait, there's sticks. a black one over there that might be a little prettier. A I'm going to hold on to this sucker. Okay. I'm going to hold on to this man. I'm 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 engaged. I'm so engaged, man. I'm just my. I'm just dropping stuff right and left. <laughs> I'm just thinking. You well, what? <laughs> so, so that's right. So, I mean, man, and it is a tough question, but I think that if, you know, um, I think if you, if you deal with something, sometimes there, there, are, there are actual physical things that happen in our, in our lives, um, maybe an accident of some sort. You know, we know fellow drummers in this town who have dealt with some pretty major tragedy. Right. They've lived to tell the story and somehow they're back on their kit. Right. Um, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, but if they, but if they had, it would be a tragedy. I think, you know, if that ended them, their career and, you know, they were able to continue to live and be functional, but perhaps couldn't play the drums as well, man, that's, that's a, that's a, would be a really tough thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. But there is a reality in all of that. You know, we're simply mortals trying to play drums. Sometimes we think we're superhuman on a kit mm-hmm. and we can bash on a drum set all day long for hours and hours on end and not deal with, you know, any of the physical abuse that we just put our body through. A lot of young guys do that. You know, I, I've had to teach molar type techniques or a lot more arm motion and different things, relaxing techniques to a lot of guys um, over the years because I'm like, man, if you keep that up for 10 years, you're not going to have your tendons and your arms and wrists are going to be shot. Right, right. Um, so I, I, it's more than just, you know, I guess we have to look at sometimes the, the conscious decision to no longer be in this business. Um, the business itself is not helping us any right now. Um, but if, if somebody... What do you to, mean by that? Well, the way the revenue streams work or so don't you, work. You, helping us, you mean drummers specifically? I think any musician trying to make a living in this industry is sure. a lot tougher than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But it, it's really an interesting... Uh, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It's songwriters you know, maybe aren't making the revenue that they once did. And artists, not sure. We're more single song driven now, like we were back in the, in the early part days. Oh, of it's almost come full circle. Right. Anyway, it's yeah. come, I think it's completely full circle. Yeah. And so there's a lot more live performing and so forth and to build, to make your revenue, a lot of sponsorships, but the double-edged sword, I think for guys like us, you know, even though we haven't really had a bump in pay in our session rate in a long time, the thing is, with the idea of the home recording studio, it's really opened up even more doors 
the you know? it's it's almost shifted. The balance yeah. is, you know, mm-hmm. although the pay hasn't come up, but mm-hmm. the, well, although now with home studio, which we'll get great pictures of here, of what uh, you have set up, um, we also carry the burden of having to buy this equipment and, invest and learn how to use it. <laughs> learn how to use it, invest your time and your right. money into it. So yeah. um, I don't know how many times I've tried to venture down that path and I'll try to get advice from an engineer and mm-hmm. and, they, and they'll always cut me off and say, Matt, if you, listen, if you need a record, just come over here. I'll, I'll cut you a deal and you mm-hmm. can, because they want, they want right. the business and mm-hmm. they want me to come over and help them pay off the the debt that they've accrued <laughs> that's right on uh so you know i, I think uh, i think what's interesting it, it, there are more opportunities for all of us you know with the home studio with other studio opportunities a lot, a lot more live gig opportunities artists that are going out and playing more live stuff trying to create some sort of notoriety so when they put their stuff up on youtube youtunes youtunes itunes or youtube that they can uh that they're going to get more hits and try to try to generate revenue in a different way. Yeah. And that's really been good for all of us. But I, I think, you know, kind of even back to the competitive thing. Um, I, I mean, I think that, that in, you know, we as drummers in a community, we definitely love to have our drummers lunches and get together and support each other. I think that's awesome. But also, you know, if you look, even on a recent post where we were talking about, you know, the new Tom or Rhythm Watch or some other things, it's amazing how many drummers chime in and give their opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and on some, some level, everybody's kind of saying the same thing. It's just everybody's given their two cents worth, which I think is fantastic too. And we, you know, we need, and I love reading all those posts and see what people have to say because right. you might glean some cool information from yeah, it. Yeah. But I, so, you know, all I can say is for me personally is if, and I've told my wife this, you know, um, our kids are a little bit older now, and we're going to be on the what I call the other side of the mountain, right, where right. they're going to be ready to go out on their own. Yeah. And for the past twenty something years, we've been raising kids, we've been parents, and my my career has been a machine in that it's kind of taking care of itself. Um, not so much. I mean, it, it's just in other words. It's, it's a little bit on autopilot. Okay, so I have a lot of clients that call me on a regular basis, and I have a lot of work that comes in, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And I give it all my attention and do the very best I can. I've had some fortune to do some touring and to do some other things. Mm-hmm. During this span of raising kids, yeah. the work has continued for me, yeah. and that's been a complete blessing. Um, I haven't – I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I haven't necessarily had to beat the bushes – that much or overly network just to keep going. Fortunately, before kids, most of that happened and I was able to get the thing kind of on autopilot right. to where it was it, it was reoccurring work. It doesn't mean every day was, was full. It right. just means there was enough work every year to pay the bills and to raise kids and so forth. What do you think was the reason behind that? Was it just because of the work you had built up to that point, meeting different people on sessions, meeting different players on the road? Mm-hmm. Um, you have published three books. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes to all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yes to all of that. I mean, okay. and and as far as the books are concerned, going out and doing clinics at universities and so forth. I mean, that's something I've had to take the initiative, make the contacts. Fortunately, the books speak for themselves. So when. Uh, I can say, hey, you know, I'm going to be in your town or in your area. I'm doing a clinic at so-and-so university that's only 100 miles away. I'd love to come over and do one at your university. You know, here are my 
companies and the support that they give. And here's my cost. And I keep my cost. Dude, it's universities. They don't have a lot of money. Yeah. And if they have a lot of money, they're probably bringing in a bigger artist than me. So fine. Uh, uh, here's what I cost plus mm-hmm. what the companies can bring in. And if I stay an extra day and do some private lessons, then, you know, it'll help take care of my expenses. Right. And I can go make a good, you know, good amount of money for a day mm-hmm. and try to spend. And, and I, I'm the guy that's going to go. I don't do my hour or 90 minutes and split. I hang out all day. You yeah. know, yeah. it's like, let's go do the 90 minute clinic and then. Hey, I'm going to be around all day. If you guys want to get together and have coffee and talk about the music business, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And that's just part of my f- my overall kind of thing. So, right, and you did that with me when I first moved to town. We right, got together got, a couple times, mm-hmm. and that was great. That's right. I we sure did. A lot. I remember coming to see you play one time at that place off of Eighth Avenue or Twelfth Avenue, Eighth Avenue. There's some little club that I don't think is there anymore. It was next to a pool hall. The Hot Banana? No. No. <laughs> The electric banana. The fried banana. Uh, Oh, you know, next to the Belcourt Theater, isn't it right in that area somewhere? It was like an old club, and I came and saw you play with an artist, and you were awesome, man, by the way. You played kick, snare, and a floor tom. I remember that. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought, hey, that's a cool setup. Oh, man, I bet it was uh, was my friend Park. Park and Sarah, maybe. Uh, Maybe so. Songwriter thing. But, you know, so, I mean, you know, there's, it's not without effort, to keep things going, but there also has been, you know, um, producers that I've worked for that yeah. their gig is to go out and beat the bushes and make records. And how do you maintain those relationships over time? Well, you're on time to your session. You get show up with great sounding drums and you yeah, do your job sure. until it's over. And then it may not be over at one o'clock or five o'clock. Yeah. And then, uh, you make sure that you look them in the eye yeah. and you'd give them every possible second of your attention that you can. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, I had some uh, really, you know, Larry London uh, was alive when I moved to town and I had some great conversations with him. Oh, wow. And he taught me a lot about just how to deal with people. Yeah. We didn't have long conversations, but we had some conversations yeah. and I was able to get an he gave me so much information in three and a half minutes that I was like, wow, man, gosh, that's pretty amazing, amazing stuff. And then I remember Jerry Croon. Do you guys remember Jerry I Croon? Do. I remember Jerry. Jerry Croon is, he's been out playing with Don McLean lately. Okay. And I, I believe so. I ran into him in an airport last year sometime. Yeah. And He only uh, has two songs to learn, American Pie and... <laughs> American uh, Pie. <laughs> <laughs> American Pie. That's the whole set. That's right. <laughs> but he's... He told me when I moved to town, we were at church, and uh, I saw him in the lobby at church, and we were talking. And Jerry's, he's a matter-of-fact guy. Yeah. He kind of just tells you like it is. Yeah. And he said, Brian, you're a fantastic drummer. Don't think that you're going to come in here and take everybody's job. (laughs) He said, dig your roots deep, take your time, and build a career. And I was like, wow, Hmm. that was the best sermon I've ever heard, you know. I can go home now. I just had church with with Reverend Jerry Kroon. Anyway, uh, I've never forgotten that. And I I slowed down. I took a second and said, you know what? Hmm. What am I trying to do? I don't want to burn out in three years. I don't want to try to be everybody's favorite. I I make a great living. Man, I make a great living being second and third call guy for a lot of producers right right so i think it's a part of all of that matt and that helps sustain through having kids 
and through. I think you can do that here in Nashville. Yes, you can. There is there is yeah. the work. We're, and, and I'm sure there are other towns. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. But I think in some towns, and there's great music, great musicians mm-hmm. everywhere across the country. Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of times, it, uh, some of the best musicians have a monopoly on that town or that city. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you don't need that many people to go in and do an album project or record for jingles and stuff right. like that. But there's so much going on in some of these towns mm-hmm. that there's enough room to put your roots down, to take your yeah. time, to find people to work with that trust you mm-hmm. and develop and nurture these relationships yep. that, that create this long-lasting career and that I still, allow you to be who you are, that's to right. identify. So, so you can be Brian Fullen, father, mm-hmm. husband, you know, Motor, uh, future motorcycle touring <laughs> guy, uh, and not just drummer, yeah. because this is what you want. Right, and, that's right. And this is probably going to be, you know, we're over 20 interviews right now. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that we're all over the map here. Yeah. And you've got many different opinions here. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting that uh, we've got a lot of listeners and a lot of people that identify so much with this is what I am this is what I do and mm-hmm. I will always do that and I think that's I think it's awesome mm-hmm. um, I'm I, I have a, I'm just personally I'm probably closer to you in that respect just because I'm a family guy mm-hmm. um, but um, I think that's one of the reasons why I chose Nashville but I I, I guess I have such a love affair with music and mm-hmm. playing drums and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's a written blog I Listen, go on and on about yeah, it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I hope that I get to play drums forever. Yeah. You know, I really do. Doesn't your son play drums too? He does. He's yeah. a very good little drummer. That's nice. He actually had an opportunity to go to UT uh, and be a drummer, you know, a percussion major. But, uh, I, I, you know, and that's that's a different point right there. It's like... My kids have grown up in this environment. My wife's a musician. She plays concert violins. Oh, wow. She played in the Symphony of Memphis, and that's where we met. Uh, she was playing in different orchestras, and she, she was a working musician when yeah. I met her, but she had a day job. She was in fashion, actually. And, um, and uh, you know, we met, and we played gigs together, and we did a lot of, uh, um, a lot of, I mean, that was a really instant chemistry for us because not only did we love each each other as who we were as people, but the fact that we had that connection mm-hmm. as musicians. Right, right. So my kids, you know, every Sunday my wife plays in church. It's like, so my kids are used to seeing her up there playing violin in the section. And I'm, sometimes I'm playing in church or I'm out on the road or whatever. This is, this is our life. I mean, I'm, I remember doing a, a clinic at a PAS convention mm-hmm. and my son was little and they're sitting in the front row and my wife's got a video camera. I'm like, honey, you got to get this on video, you know? So we've, she's got the video camera set up, and I'm doing the clinic. And I look down, and 60 seconds in the clinic, my son's sound asleep on the oh, front row. Right. That's, um, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So I, I've come after that. I'm like, you know, what's Miles? Why? What's wake up? Don't, this is daddy doing a clinic. <laughs> and, uh, and, he's, and he's like, I didn't know whether this was a compliment. We said, but Dad, your drumming just puts me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I had a show um, like a month ago, and it was it was close enough that I threw my kids in the car, and we're like, we're going to go. Go with me. We're going to hang out for the day. You mean you put them in gently? Gently in the car. And well, you know, buckled them in. They're t- 10 and 13. <laughs> it was actually 
just half of us were driving like a, the, this uh, a, the band Sprinter van. It was you know a luxurious way to travel, and mm-hmm. we're maybe three hours away, right? And which is rare for me to play so close. And it was an outdoor festival where families were going to be there. Nice. And we had some friends of the family that lived close by that were, mm-hmm. wanted to see my kids as well. During our hour and a half performance, I could not find them anywhere. <laughs> well, they were in the parking lot behind the stage. That's right. Yeah. Playing frisbee, playing with a frisbee. Yeah. And I'm like, like did you guys? Hey, ha- dad's playing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Go out for a long one. You know. Yeah. And there's a part of me that is like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool because I found my way. I discovered music. Right. On yeah. my no, my parents introduced me a lot of music. Mm-hmm. My dad played piano. Uh, my both my parents uh, sang in the choir at church. Mm-hmm. Church was a big part of that, and yeah. my dad played drums in high school. So nice. There was a lot of that stuff that was introduced, but I kind of feel like that self discovery, self discovery reinforces uh, the challenges that are. I mean, it 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 reinforces the passion that's necessary to mm-hmm. overcome some of the challenges if you want to be a professional musician sure. and, yeah. and endure the environment that goes along yeah, with it. Yeah, because that passion drives you. I mean, even though my son is, is quite gifted on the instrument, he really is, and, and I think that, um, you know, I gave him enough lessons to get him to each level, and I wanted to get him formal lessons that probably wouldn't be from me. You know, because it was still dad, son, and even right, though I right. taught him some stuff, yeah, yeah. you know, I think somebody else's, you know, would be able to. Uh, every parent wants to see their kid be, the, you know, the greatest, whatever. So it's just kind of an inherent, natural parental thing. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think I would have done that. And and he played all the way through high school, and he was. Man, one time I went to see him play, and he was like ripping off this this whole mallet part, like a xylophone part, like double strokes. And I'm going, "What? How did you do that? How'd you learn that?" And at at some point, I he, you know, I I kind of made him do mid state one year and taught him some marimba and so forth. And he just man, he just took it because he has the gift. Yeah. But and you have the marimba, and I have the marimba <laughs> from 1942. But he we got to get a picture of that. He, uh, he, um, his passion is soccer and his passion is, he loves all things kind of mechanical engineering and so forth. Uh, he loves motorcycles, which I can't complain about that, but, um, he's, he's, uh, he loves to play the drums, but, uh, his, it's not necessarily his driving force, you know? Yeah. I tend to be that guy that plays right on the click. In other words, mm. mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with sitting it back in the pocket. I don't have a problem with, you know, but I tend, my default is to play the math pretty accurately. That's what I work for. Mm-hmm. And in the old days of two inch tape, uh, not so much. I didn't worry about it as much. If we moved around the click, we moved around the click. If the song needed to ebb and flow, it did. And I'm still that way to this day. And like you said, you had a recording recently. We turned the click off. Done that many times. Yeah. But I found, just in for me personally and the clients that I work for, mm. that I have a lot of producers that like to slice things up. And one of the things that has worked to my benefit is the fact that I can play with the click to where it's pretty accurate. 
Okay. I, I've worked hard on that. And um, so um, if they decide to take one of my verse verses and put it someplace else, it's very little effort for them to do that. So I just lost your microphone. There it is. Hey, hey, hey. There we go. Yeah. Um, well, this this leads me to uh, you had sent me some uh, YouTube links mm -hmm. to some new artists that uh, you have been working with. Yeah, uh, Australian artists. Australian artists. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. They sounded great. Yeah, they're amazing great. singers. I mean, well, uh, the tracks, the drums, everything well, sounds really Thank good. Thank you. Um, how did that relationship? Wh where is that going? I mean, it, mm -hmm. and is it all through? Maybe uh, one or uh, one producer that's doing all this. Primarily, or? yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's he's sent a few other people my way. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I I think this is a guy in Australia who uh, I I have never met him. We have a great little you know emailing relationship. How did it start. He found me online um, through my website uh, and. Uh, there's a little drum tracks online, you know, page on my dot com, and um, and what what's the yeah, it's brianfullen dot com yeah gotcha. that that's an older site and I'm working on updating it, putting on new sites, but that's it's still, it still looks really good. And well, it sounds you. good, and yeah. you can go to all, I love all the different samples. Mm -hmm. I think it's laid out well. Uh, I I know and I've seen it before, and I was looking at it recently to, to kind of prepare, mm -hmm. and and it it. It, it is familiar. I mean, I remember looking at it before, and it's, mm -hmm. but it's still... But I, I feel like you're one of the early pioneers of having a good, well-presented website mm, with accessible you. audio examples mm -hmm. and pictures of what you do and what you can yeah. do, and just, like, very accessible. I mean, I, it even... I don't remember when we got together and you were telling me about your website, it could have been eight or nine years ago. Yeah. I don't it's, know how long you've had this thing up, uh, but it's if, it's, been a if while. it's out of date, it's still more current than yeah. <laughs> a lot of things that well, I've seen. Well, it is, it is out of date. I mean, but, but it, it, it's but still... this is what the producer saw. Yeah, and it still works for me. I mean, and I've, I've cultivated this relationship, well, he and I together, um, probably six years now, and we've done about 15 artists. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and, you know, on some of the artists were working on round two. Um, so, you know, over this, he found me and it started with one song. He said, I want to try this. And yeah. here, you know, it's a guy, he's a bit old school too, you know, and he's like, I said, well, let's have, let's Skype. And he says, I have no idea how that works. <laughs> and I said, well, okay. Oh, wow. how'd, that, how'd, you, how'd you get that set up? Well, we never, we've never Skyped. <laughs> um, so we just email each other and, and he sends me recordings or demos sometimes man sometimes i get the you know here's the demo of the song we really like the demo just go with this kind of recreate it and do your thing on it yeah um there are other times when i get a vocal and an acoustic are you only doing drums i'm only playing drums and percussion yeah okay i'll do loops and so forth too okay. um but uh i'm not playing any other instruments if i do any acoustic guitar it's for my own amusement so i have somebody to play with that i feel is more in tune with my pocket um but, uh, yeah, he found me. We started with one artist, um, a brother-sister group called Kaylin's Rain. K-A-Y-L-E-N-S, Rain, R-A-I-N. I listen to one song that it sounds cool. They I like are, them a lot. Oh, my gosh, they're awesome. Yeah, they are so like talented. And not this year, but a year ago, they came and did International Night, and so I actually got to have lunch with them and meet them. Oh, downtown, uh -huh. lower Broadway. Yep. 
Yes, I was down there actually yeah, on International Night. They played. Yeah, and my friend David Northrup, who you probably know, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was playing drums in a house band, and so I, uh, we had a communication, and I texted him. I said, "Man, you played the Kalen's Rain. That's awesome." And I said, "Yeah, I played on the record. So you just played my parts. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you played them better than me. Wait a minute. <laughs> He's such a good drummer. Yeah, he is great. Um, and uh, so." Uh, yeah, so we, we worked with Kalen's Rain. Then we worked with a guy named Jared Porter, who actually may be in town as we speak. Um, okay. He's a guy from California who moved to Australia as a teenager, and he's been there for a while. Um, and uh, he won on a competition called Toyota Star Maker that I think is a little bit like American Idol-ish kind of a thing the over there. Colgate has one of those yeah, uh, vocals. Uh-huh, it's contest. that sort of a thing. Yeah, And he got you know like a truck, and he got all kinds of cool gifts. And he just played at a big festival in San Francisco at Fender. He won some competition, and Fender sponsored him and brought him out. Nice. And he was going to, he had asked me to bring out some Nashville guys, but it just was a little cost prohibitive mm-hmm. uh, to fly out there last minute, learn the songs for two couple days rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. So, but man, that guy, dang, he can sing. And this was, this was the joy of this for me is yeah. they're sending me, and, and Jared wrote everything on the record. And there was another girl named Kaylee Bell who was also a Toyota Star Maker artist. Um, now we're working with some X Factor artists, Australian X Factor artists, yeah. um, girl named uh, Caitlin Shadbolt. Yeah, uh, which is my wife's last name, which <laughs> right. is crazy. So, uh, and she's just like 17, 18-year-old little spitfire, man. Just sings great. Yeah. Um, she's, a, she's developing, though. She's had a lot of success with the song called Maps Out the Window that we did mm-hmm. uh, that was written, I think, by Sarah Buxton and some other Nashville writers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a little bit the irony is uh, there are some other Nashville players, I think Jeff King, um, Troy Lancaster, a few other guys in town here that, that I've kind of, you know, uh, when the producer asked me, who are some other guys need a steel player, need some other players, I gave him some names. And mm-hmm. so we've all, we're all been working together in our home studios, playing on records over there. Yeah. And they're having this really cool kind of renaissance of, of country music, like what we experienced in the late 80s and early 90s. Yes. But that, that was yeah. a little bit more of a new traditional thing with Randy Travis. And of course, Garth was more pop and so forth. Right. But, you know, their thing is heavily influenced by current country music right. which we know is very hybridized so their stuff is i mean a lot more rock oriented mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. just right up my alley mm-hmm. so uh i've just been very happy to play on these records and we're working on more Again, stuff man, it to this great. It well thank really you really good and I, i'm just yeah. thrilled to be a part of it and it's so cool to go look at the australian country charts and see four five six tunes that you played on in the top 30 you know yeah and um that's just been, I mean, I've seen, I've played on number ones, I've played on other stuff in the past, but it's just cool to, to, to see other, um, to be a, a part of what's happening over there. And, and the, you know, and because of the internet and because of e-sessions, so to speak, you know, we're able to do that. So um, in my, it, it's been a beautiful thing. talk more about home recording okay it's it's just it's so much a part of what we do now it's, mm-hmm. it's so much a part of what is going on mm-hmm. have, have, the whole landscape has changed oh man tremendously and so how long have you been doing this since 1999 or before but i mean if you think about it the stuff i was doing in college was a home recording studio yeah so uh, i've been around the concept of home recording 
forever. And my friend Jay, who was who played bass on that stuff, and he moved to town. He, he and I were starting to do some writing together, and the, all of this I had just put together just for my own dungeon, just a place to play drums loudly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we're like, man, there's a cool space here. Maybe we can turn it into something, some sort of a recording. And I, I'm like, well, as soon as I get some money together, you know, ten grand ish, um, I'm gonna buy some gear. And the first project I played on were on ADET. And uh, I had, I didn't have quite the mic pre's. I wasn't into the API thing yet because I couldn't afford it. But I had the little console. Actually, I didn't have this console. I had another crappy little mixer. And uh, and that's that's how I got started. That would have been mid, kind of 95, 6, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then what's fascinating is uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. Pro Tools had just come out, and it was just like an eight-track system. But if you could light pipe like 16 or maybe 24 or something like that. But um, a friend of mine, I said, man, I'm, I'm an old-school guy. Yeah, I'm a tape machine guy. You know, I, The digital world to me at that time was just seemed so ominous. It was like it scared me to death. So he said, well, there's this new program out called Nuendo that yeah. kind of works like a tape machine. And everything functions like a digital tape machine. You might check it out. So, or as close as you could get. It wasn't like a whole new school of learning or something. And he said, you could 24, you get a 24 channel console and light pipe 24 channels. And I'm like, what's light pipe? Anyway, <laughs> he says, you know, these little laser cables has eight channels going through each one. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I went and got this. When Mars Music was going out of business, oh, yeah. I bought this console for like 60% off, and I bought a bunch of other gear. I use True Systems mic pre's. I use API, uh, True Systems. I have this eight-channel boutique, these mic pre's, API. I use. I was a Sennheiser artist, actually, for a while when I was doing a lot of clinics. Okay. So Sennheiser gave me a bunch of microphones, uh, of, and I still use several on Tom's. Um, and then I just experimented with other mics. I used the AKG uh, 414s. Um, and these actually right here are two 14s. So it's like the uh, the uh, Omni version of the 414. It doesn't have the different the toggle switch for the right. different settings. Mm-hmm. But it has the one that I wanted. So I got these two. And I've been trying them out. I really like them. Um, and then I use, uh, I have room mics, fat heads. Um, I have uh, Cascade ribbon mics so i kind of set everything up and i use a great majority of my 24 channels just on drums but i like to give options and uh so i've really been uh man over the past 15 years uh, i have filled up a lot of hard drives for very fortunately yeah but through my website had a lot of people contact me and you're still using nuendo primarily i'm still using nuendo and and i'm just into three point something I mean, there's a, there's higher versions, but you know, if it works, and dude, my computer, it's it's up there in years, but it works great because it's only a music computer. It's not online; doesn't do anything else. Oh, okay. All it has in it is Nuendo, and the the you know the software for the audio and so forth. And it just that's all it does. There's like nothing else on the computer, and I don't use the drive. In the I use different drives. You know, your drives tend to go out pretty quick. I use a lot of different drives. So 
the processing and motherboard just works. It starts up and works great. Sure. The thing is, it's based on the old uh, Windows XP system. So if I need to, if I want to upgrade to USB 3.0 or anything like that, I'm going to have to get a new computer. I'm not ready to do that yet. <laughs> so like in a nutshell, this producer from Australia, mm-hmm. what is he sending you? Well, whether it's it's him or any of the artists that, that you know, producers I have a chance to work with, um, which have been many, fortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there are a few of us in town that have been doing this for a long time. There are a lot more guys doing it even now. And... Uh, and quite frankly, up to this point, I haven't really given out much information. And I, I'm not trying to be mean about it, but yeah. I have guys that have contacted me quite a bit there for a while. It's like, man, what gear are you using? Can I come over and look at your studio? Can I do this and do that? Yeah. And and I'm at the point these days where it's like, sure, fine. I'm Anything I'm doing is not a secret. <laughs> it's just the way I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, there are a few other guys in town that have been doing it quite a long time. They've built really nice rooms. Um you know, this is not a super fancy room, man, but it sounds really good in here. Yeah. And uh, so typically um, what I ask for, um, I like to get as many individual tracks from producers as I can, but they don't always give me that. Sometimes all they get is just a stereo demo of, you know, whether it's from Nashville or something that they've done. And they're like, we really like this. Could you reproduce the drums? We're doing it in a different key, or we're adding another chorus, or we want the chorus feel, you know, give us four on the floor instead of this pattern. You know, we're making some changes. Okay. Or we're going to bring this song up to date. And this is all we have. I see. So if, this, if I'm lucky enough that the song was actually recorded to a click, then I just find it and I just, I just move it around on the grid until it lines up. And it's a little bit old school, but man, I just, I literally, I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. it's lined up from beginning to end. Cool. And then I highlight it, make a new track. So it's now it's bounced basically from beginning to end on the grid at whatever the tempo is, 100 beats per minute. Okay. Let's yeah. say, for example. Okay. And I create a, you know, two or four bar count off, whatever it needs. And, and I slate it and I count it off. I identify the tempo, everything, and I do my drum track. And, and, and oftentimes I have to play with an existing track, with an existing drum track, and I kind of have to listen through that. And, and that's okay. There are other times that um, I'll get... One of the things I really enjoy getting is, is perhaps I'm the last thing to go on a track. Oh, yeah. And so I have a vocal, I have a click, I've got you know, maybe stereo guitars, I've got stereo keys, and I even have a program drum machine that they played everything to that has their ideas on it. Yeah. So that gives me a nice direction. And uh, so from there, you know, I can, I can uh, just build it um, and, and create, you know, a human feel of pretty much what they already gave me, but now it's just played by a human. Um, Are you sending them different versions of, hey, here's what I did? Like, depending on the, I guess they're giving you specific direction, like we want four on the floor on these choruses. Mm-hmm. And maybe to it's some more degree, wide open. Yeah. Say, here's a couple different options. I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. with both of these. Or do you kind of say, or do they trust, they're trusting you? Most of the time they're trusting me. Uh, I don't do multiple versions that much because, okay. like I said earlier, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I work on a track. You know, when we go into the studios in Nashville these days, we're not parked at a studio like we used to be where you could really, 
work on a track for a couple of hours. Right, right. But I still do that. Matter of fact, I probably lose money in the long run. I was going to say, and this has been a topic of conversation for guys that are recording a lot at home, is mm -hmm. the danger of spending so much time and it's like when you're playing the drums i know i know i know <laughs> trust me but honey i'm playing the drums yeah uh, um i'm working sorry that's, that's, that's well you uh, know i probably charge more than some of the other guys do so I, I i i use union scale as as a benchmark for myself mm -hmm. and um if i'm doing something in master quality i charge master scale for a song uh, for a session and i'm usually doing one song a session yeah so that kind of gives you an idea of my math. Bob Brighthop has become a great friend over the years and, uh, and, and was a mentor to me. But the thing that impressed me the most uh, as, as a professional early on is the fact that, that he just he would diversify in different things. And he made a very, you know, a very good point to me that, you know, to not basically the way he basically put it was don't put all your eggs in one basket you know yeah. take the time to diversify do different things utilize your gifts and that's to me that's that's part of giving the music business or giving music everything it requires from you so i love to to educate you know as evidenced by me wearing out all your batteries today <laughs> uh, i love to talk shop i love yeah. to try to help people realize their own goals and the same thing i tell my kids you know when they uh, as they've gone through their soccer careers and their just their education you know i'd always say to them you know well, you got to be on this test okay cool but if there's an a out there why not go get it yeah. so my feeling has always been if i have an ability to do some educating and write some books I, i'm why not i'm going to try that i'm going to give it a go and well, i've had three books that are pretty successful my jazz standards book that i wrote for hal leonard has been wildly popular that I don't have that book. And when I was looking on your website, I was like, I have your other mm -hmm. two books. And I was like, I've I got to get this one. Well, it's become a bit of a standard book in colleges. That's great. That's great. Little, I mean, I didn't know that was happening. It just kind of happened. I just wrote the book because, to be honest with you, man, it, it, I wrote that book because I, I was teaching jazz to guys in town who wanted to learn how to play jazz. They were like... Hey, do you have? Can I? What are some of the tunes I need to learn, and how yeah, do I do yeah, that? Yeah. So it came from teaching this stuff, and I just basically compiled it, and voila, that was it. And it was a project that I love to do. But yeah. what's really interesting is, even though I cut my teeth on playing jazz, don't people don't think of me as a jazz guy yeah. uh, per se, yeah. and yet I have a very popular jazz book. So you know that was just good fortune and. Uh, Unfortunately, it was a buyout, so I'm not getting any royalties okay. from that. <laughs> but it, it is a great calling card when I go in and do clinics at universities. Yeah. So, you know, the, the diversification of being a recording guy, a studio guy, a live guy, right. being able to play percussion, being a student of the instrument as much as I can, yeah, and build yeah. my own business, my little, yes. like I mentioned before, my little enterprise of, of, of my company. Right. And my company can offer these various things. And if I'm not the right guy for a project, then, then I'm not the right guy. Right. But I have enough faith and belief and trust that, that there's enough projects that'll sustain me. And there's all these advantages, advantages to diversification. You have a chance to maybe discover something you didn't know oh, about the instrument or about the mm -hmm. process right. that um, inspires creativity. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it also, uh, from a financial perspective, when one thing falls away, it's not everything. It's, it's right. again, we were, uh, mm -hmm. you know, talking about um, sometimes when you're young and you don't have as many responsibilities, financial or right. otherwise, mm -hmm. it's easy to put all your eggs in one basket sure. and feel like, hey, this artist is going to take care of me. Mm -hmm. But you just don't know that. And we've had um, some, yeah. uh, we, there's some, we have some mutual uh, friends and colleagues that have, been able to put a lot into the artists they work with and mm -hmm. have had some success with that. And yep. that's great, but that is not the mm -hmm. norm. The well, way we're talking about Steve Gadd, right. he's in this unique situation. He is. He's he's like the ultimate sideman. You know, he can yeah. he can go out and play with the different artists and they basically schedule their tours around his availability yeah. because they love him and because he's yeah. so good. It ultimately comes down to the product. But one of the things that that I would the advice that I would give to young guys. Um, to guys coming up is stop trying to impress me. And it's not that I can't be impressed. I can be impressed. Believe me, there are great drummers coming to town that are, that I think are very impressive. But when they try to impress me, it's like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to play? The thing that Gad does and, and, and this, oh my gosh, I, this image is burned in my mind. It was a few years back uh, maybe more than a few. I was up in Columbus for New Year's Eve. And, you know, my mother, who's, God bless her, she's in her late 80s, um, and the most amazing woman ever, and just acts like she's in her 50s. She she was like, oh, you know, we're ringing in the new year. Okay, it's another new year. I'm going to bed. Yeah, right, <laughs> I'm like, right. okay. Well, you know, so... My wife and I actually go up into her bedroom, and she's got the TV on, and there's different musicians that are playing. And uh, so she's getting ready for bed, and we're just hanging out, because I don't get to see my mother very often. Mm -hmm. So I'm just hanging out with my mom, and we're watching on her nice brand new television in her bedroom, and James Taylor comes on. Yeah. And the, playing, I don't, oh man, what song is it? Uh, don't remember, but Gad was playing Kick, Hi-Hat, and Shaker. And dude, oh my gosh, it felt so good. Yeah. yeah. And that's all he did. Oh, and I think maybe some left-hand brush, like a little backbeat. Mm -hmm. And I just was, and it wasn't, I mean, we've all done that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But this was heads and tails above anything. I, I'm serious. I'm like, he, and this is what I was saying earlier about playing the song. You know, we talked about... Um, playing music for the sake of music. And, you know, everybody, and, and me included, you know, would talk about Ringo or certain drummers that are song drummers. I mean, if, if anything, uh, I would give the one chop that I have away if that made me a better song drummer mm -hmm. because I just want to be a great song drummer. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there are other guys that'll say, well, we're all becoming too generic. And I tend to agree to that to a little bit. But if I can get my personality and my character in the two and four, and lay down a great groove that motivates people to move mm -hmm. and to be moved by the music, to be moved spiritually, to enjoy the journey from the first note to the last, in, in a, and it puts them in a different place. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm playing a shaker or if I'm playing a, the kit, whatever. Give the music everything it requires from you. I find that when in my year to 12 years I taught at Belmont, I would sit down with guys and I'd say, young guys, college guys, I'd say, just lay down a groove for me. And dude, they couldn't play four bars without doing something mm -hmm. that was just like unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And now if you want to 
enhance the groove a little bit or do something to create your phrasing, that's different. But just lay down a pocket for me. Mm -hmm. And then I might even say, okay, here's the click. I want you to lay down a pocket. But wait, wait, wait for the time. Don't beat the click to the next beat. Don't Mm -hmm. get there early. Wait for it. Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult for guys to do. When when you go, and we've all been there, man, you go and you see a player play, and he's really busy trying to impress the eyes that are in the audience. Um, I'm going to tell you a very quick story. I know we need to wrap up, but um, when I see guys that do that, I just want to say to them, you don't need to impress me with your chops, okay? Because I've been listening to drummers for a long time, and I've heard some pretty great chops, and it doesn't make me an expert on this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying, move me with your music. Move me with your music. Yeah. Now, if that means if that means you're playing a lot of chops and that's part of the music, then move me, and that's cool, and I'll, I'll appreciate it. But if it also means playing something as simple as Gad played that night, just give the music everything it requires from you from an early, and learn to do that early on. And Because, man, there's only one drummer in a band. And all the other guys in the band aren't going to be that impressed with some crazy chops fill that you're going to play that slightly rushes to the next downbeat. They could care less about that, quite frankly. I was watching a YouTube the other night with Keith Carlock on, on oh, yeah. uh, playing, and he played a solo that just was absolutely, I just wanted to get up and dance, man, and scream, because, I mean, you know, uh, Keith, I've met Keith a couple of times. He's come to town and played on some things. He plays with Tom Hemby on some stuff. And uh, and I think, you know, he's tremendous. And what he his thing he does, he makes it feel incredible. And that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's he's, you know, there's things, he's playing a lot of just monstrous notes. And it's, but it feels so it makes good. it work, the com- combining the two. It's so musical. And, and that's, that's my point. It yeah. doesn't matter. Just make it musical, man. Right, just right. be, uh, just be. And, you know, you're, you're a bit of a composer and a producer, and you have to kind of sit outside of yourself and make some discerning decisions. Yeah. You know, was this feel really a good idea, or did I just freaking overplay? <laughs> and I've been on those things where I've yeah. just overplayed. Uh, you know, early, early, early on in my career, I played a track that I just was very proud of myself when I got done with this track. And the producer came on, hit the button, and said, Brian, that was amazing. And I'm like... I'm pretty impressive, aren't I? And he said, do that on your own record. Now, this is what I want you to play. Yeah, I love that. Man, have you ever thought about doing your own solo record? (laughs) Yeah, I have. Okay, go do that on your own time. Right. I did. There was another track I did. I played it, and this friend of mine listened to it, and he goes, man, that sounds like something you'd play at a drum clinic. Uh, And for me, that was a little bit like, oh, (laughs) I was trying to be so musical. I mean, look, man, in musical journey... Um, I'm in my fourth decade of this. Well, if you count this since I was age five, it's been a lot longer. But uh, so, you know, in my in in many of us that are in our fifties and we've been doing this a long time, um, you know, you've gotten a chance to play a lot of songs with a lot of different people and play a lot of music. And Matt, you know, my my background is symphonic too. I mean, mm-hmm. I I I've played. Uh, jazz gigs. I've played symphony gigs. I've I've been very fortunate to have 
great teachers like Bob and other people that kind of lead me down paths that I needed to follow. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't play with a symphony. I'm not good enough to be in their percussion section. But everything that I've learned in symphonic playing, it all, it all contributes. It all contributes. Yeah. It's all knowledge. Right. It's all musical knowledge and understanding. And it becomes part of your soul. And your and guitar playing and singing. And, and not everybody needs to learn how to play timpani to be a great drummer. It, it's not about that. But if for me, in my little path, it has paid dividends for me. Sure, for sure. I'm very proudly endorsed by Yamaha and Zildjian, Remo, and Promark. Those are my four primary companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I have played Yamaha drums for over 20 years. And uh, I'm... I've always loved Yamaha drums, the recording custom kit. When I saw Weckl playing a recording custom kit years ago, was, and then Gad was playing them and so forth, I was like, uh, I got to have that drum set. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, uh, I went through uh, an early Thomas Superstar kit, which was a Birch kit, was very much like a recording custom kit, kind of their take on it. And uh, but that was my first kit, like real drum set, you know. Uh, but then I moved over to Yamaha. I've been with them for a while, and they've been family to me. And I've uh, become great friends with you know everybody. They're a big company, and as long as you're patient <laughs> with you know the fact that they're a big company and they have a lot of drummers that they take care of. Yeah. Uh, but you know they they've been uh, I've been able to be involved in some of the uh, the new maple, hybrid maple, uh, the development of that. Not only the design, but just. Um, when they put together prototypes, they came to Nashville. They went to Nashville, L.A., New York, maybe London. I'm not sure. But uh, they came here, and a handful of us, uh, all, uh, like a room of just great drummers. You know, just walk in and just go, wow, man, everybody's so yeah, good. That's awesome. And, uh, and got to play some of the early ones and just fell in love with this hybrid maple kit. And I'm in the midst of getting one, so I'm very happy about that. And... Uh, but I, this this kit here is a Maple Custom Absolute. I have a Birch Custom Absolute. I have a Champagne Maple Custom Absolute that is among my very favorite kits I've ever owned. Um, Zildjian, I've been with Zildjian the longest. I've been with them about probably about twenty five years now, and uh, um, I signed with them uh, when I was with Allies, and I didn't meet any of their criteria, but I hounded uh, John to Christopher enough. And that we started having some really cool conversations about things outside of the drumming world. And he said, man, I'm really going to, I'm going to take a chance on you. I really like you. And let's set you up with a... It started with a relationship. It did, man. It started with the relationship. And for me, I've been with these companies. I've been with Remo. Uh, Bob Yerby signed me to Remo a long time ago. And I have my own stick with Promark. So those are my companies and I'm proud to (laughs) play them. And I, and, and uh, is it done? Okay. Still rolling. Hey, while we're on online, I just want to say thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I've given you a lot to edit. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. There's our interview with Brian. I want to thank Brian for taking the time to talk to us and uh, share with us all that great information. I also want to thank uh, all our listeners as we're growing, um, just spreading the word on Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff. It, it's awesome. It's really, it really helps us. I also want to make sure I thank Mike Jackson for all his help and uh, just uh, technical prowess at uh, all the stuff that uh, we're looking forward to doing as we expand. 
and get on YouTube uh, and start our own channel there and um, add some video content to all this uh, good stuff that we're uh, listening to. So, uh, again, um, if you have a second, please go to iTunes, rate and review us. It really helps us grow. And uh, keep on listening, guys. We really appreciate it. And we hope to see you around. See ya.